Well, let us turn to the our text, to our scripture text today, which comes to us from 1 Kings 11, uh, and beginning to read with verse 26, that talks about Jeroboam's rebellion. So, 1 Kings 11, 26, reading through verse 40. Beginning to read them with verse 26. Then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from uh, Zeradah, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing that he was that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at this time, or at that time, when Jeroboam went out to Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way. He had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it up in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and give ten tribes to you that he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Astoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon. And have not walked in my days, my ways, to do what is right in my eyes, and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David will always may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city uh, which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you and you and you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, Walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did them. I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give you Israel and will give Israel to you and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt. So Shishak, king of Egypt, uh, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. May the Lord
Lord bless this reading, draw good understanding. You have an outline there in your bulletin of four points. Um, and um, <clears throat> really what I want to do with the, I, in the title, I couldn't, it, I, it's too long to put in a title, but I wanted to compare Jeroboam as the bad example with our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the good example. They are two sovereigns. They are two rulers. Jeroboam is the picture of stupidity and wickedness. The, the picture of era, an errant mindset of a king who is so typical of this world. And that's why I titled it Jeroboam Archetype for Chaos. Jeroboam is a, uh, the archetype or the picture of the earthly ruler outside of Christ. The earth, earthly ruler who pays no attention to the goodness of God or his son. Jeroboam exemplifies this. We never get an we never get a touch or a sense in the life of Jeroboam that he was cognizant of the Lord like David was. As David walked about, it seems like the Lord was always on David's mind. Even when he sinned, he would be reflecting on his sin in the shadow or the light of the Lord. There was never a time in David's life after he was at any level of maturation where he was not animated by his love of God. And that's the very opposite of Jeroboam. Jeroboam is a secular man. Jeroboam was an earthly man. Jeroboam did not think of these things. He only thought of himself and uh, the, the world and the things of the world in, in the light of, uh, of his own mind. And so, like I say, he was, he was he personified secular man. We love the idea of secularism today. Uh, almost no issue comes up before us and is discussed publicly where the Lord's name is invoked, where we, where we consider what the Lord is doing to us and through us by the providences that he brings upon our lives. We see this continually in the life of David. We see this continually in this text here where it shows how transparent the world is to the Lord. The Lord sees all of our activities. The Lord watches what we're doing and the Lord moves. And uh, so often in these texts that we're reading here, when something bad happens or something evil happens, it says, because the Lord had worked that out, that the Lord had done that. We'll be talking about that uh, specifically in the life of Jeroboam. But it's, su it's such a great example here in this text. It's such a great example of the secular ruler. And we cannot help compare that with our, our sacred, our, our sanctified ruler, even Jesus Christ, who is totally perfect, who sits above on the throne. You know, when we ask ourselves the question, well, where, where is the rule of this world in its highest order or its highest qualification? Would that not be on the high throne of heaven upon which Christ sits even now? We have earthly rulers and they sit on their thrones. They're ensconced in power. But there's one in this world who is ensconced in the most power of anyone. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are three. There are two thrones here, uh, and um, I got a request today before I preached that uh, regarding pictures and drawing pictures during the sermon. And so 
you think if you want to want to draw two thrones, a good throne and versus a negative throne, if uh, if uh, if we can be awoken from our stupor, <laughs> we can draw. But you might think of doing something like that. So let's look at Jeroboam archetype for chaos. The first thing we see here is that chaos has ambition. And um, if we look at Jeroboam, the most significant personality characteristic that comes forth is the fact that he was an ambitious man and that um, that ambition uh, worked to propel him ahead, but not for blessing, but for curse. Verse 26 says, And Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, uh, an Ephraimite from Zerida, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. So we see here that, that Jeroboam was a, a man who had ambition, but he, he didn't sit and ruminate about it like some people do. They, they, they had a great ambition, but they simply, they simply lay back and they complain all the time about what's wrong or what they should, or how they should be blessed or how this should happen or that should happen and how they would be better. Or, you know, we have that at work and jobs and that sort of thing. We have that in the political realm. No, Jeroboam was very active. He he was he is introduced to us as Solomon's servant. So he's a servant of Solomon. But what that means is he's not a he's not a, a low level slave in this case. He is a rather well uh, tuned servant who is one of the leaders of Israel at that time. So his ambition worked upon him. And if you ever have wondered about politicians. I have never met a politician without ambition. They, they all have, and it's rather a case of whether the ambition is more destructive and negative or whether it's more positive and constructive. But you cannot become a politician without ambition. And, uh, and these men that, that take up these offices are people of ambition. Uh, they have this zeal within themselves to propel themselves forward and upward. And so this is the case with Jeroboam. He was the he was already in the text here. He was Solomon's servant, but he uh, <clears throat> he was a man who, uh, as it says in um, uh, verse twenty eight, uh, he was a man who had many worldly gifts, many gifts of, of nature and personality and that kind of thing, and he had taken those things, and they had worked within him, and he had he had worked hard to to go climb higher on the social political scale of his day so that at this point he was one of Solomon's main ministers and it tells later how uh, uh, Solomon himself and there's this wonderful con uh, co comparison or contrast between Solomon and Jeroboam Solomon is always working positively he's thinking he sees the people around him. He sees the people with gifts. And so he saw Jeroboam. And so having seen Jeroboam and seen Jeroboam's gifts and his acumen, his intelligence and that kind of thing, Solomon reached out to him and put him into higher office and put him in charge of the reconstruction, a large reconstruction project there in the nation of Israel at the time. And so... Um, uh, Jeroboam 
was a man who who had these gifts, he had this, these ambitions, and he was uh, he was he was promoting them. We found that we find out that when, as soon later in the texture, we find out that as soon as Solomon dies, uh, there is a messenger that goes to Egypt where uh, where Jeroboam has repaired or or fled because uh, his rebellion was apparent to Solomon, and uh, so Solomon moved, moved against him, and Jeroboam fled to Egypt. It was a distant territory, and uh, and then he probably left word for friends of his or pe- other people in the government when Solomon died to come and get him, to, to, to tell him that this had happened. And so as soon as Solomon dies, there's a party that goes to Egypt and that notifies Jeroboam, and Jeroboam comes back, and almost immediately then, the ten, the ten tribes of Israel uh, call him to be their king, and they anoint him to be king, and he starts to administer this new kingdom um, on his own authority. And of course, when you think of Israel, in the same way that we think of the church, the church ought to be one. The church ought to be united. It should should have its, its it should be so agreeable to the basic tenets of Christianity it should be so agreeable that we should all be unified in our approach and so it was with Israel Israel was one nation and uh, the idea of civil war or a divided nation was not something that uh, re- revealed or uh, manifested great blessing or great love or great uh, good but it, it was just manifested just the opposite. It showed that there were things that were rotten in the state of Israel. And that here, uh, they, they, now they had there been these envies and jealousies as before between the ten tribes and Judah and Benjamin. But now that this, this envy, this inner personality desire had broken out into the open and had actually fractured the nation. And so uh, when that happens, there's Jeroboam. He's there to be the cherry on top of the Sunday, as he sees it, uh, of the nation of Israel. <clears throat> now, what we see is that uh, the Jeroboam um, has all this, uh, this zeal and this ambition, which reminds us of earthly politics and earthly politicians. He has all these things, but the third point is that he, he lacks discretion and discernment. And we see this when God talks to him in verse 38, um, yeah, later on in the text. Because God comes to Jeroboam and he says to him, he explains what he's doing through the prophet, um, through one of the prophets. And, um, and then he says, my servant, um, well, he explains that that that, uh, uh, that he would not take the whole kingdom out of out of uh, Rehoboam's hand, who was the son of Solomon, who was the uh, blood relative of David, but that he's going to take uh, take out most of it. He's going to take these ten tribes out, and God explains why. He says because he kept uh, be, oh, well. He, of David, he says he kept my commandments. Um, and statutes, but he said, I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, that is Rehoboam's hand, 
and give it to you, the ten tribes, and to his son I will give one one tribe, um, uh, because he said, uh, 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 well, uh, uh, jumping back up to verse 33, he says, because they have forsaken me and worshipped these various gods. And so the Lord explains to through um, the prophet to Jeroboam what he's doing, but then he says <clears throat> in verse um Verse 38, he says, Then it shall be, if you if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did them, I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David. So God comes to him and he says this now. When the Lord says to this to, to Jeroboam, you might be confused by this and say, well, Either doesn't God know what Jeroboam, what Jeroboam is made of, or did, is, is this God's oversight? Does he not realize what's going on here? No, the Lord, the Lord challenges us publicly with these proclamations in our lives, and he knows exactly what's going on. He's not fooled at all, but it's up to us. God gives us these opportunities. It's the same way with the free offer of the gospel. God says to you, if you, if you, anyone, believe on the Lord, name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Even though he knows, even as he pronounces this promise, he knows that there are many who will be disgusted with the gospel opportunity. And they will resist it, and they will turn it down. But is that on the Lord, or is that on us? Of course, it's on us. And so here God comes to Jeroboam, and he says, uh, he gives him an open opportunity of being a good king, even as he knows that there's not a single impulse of Jeremiah which is godly, which is sensitive to the things of the Lord. But he says these things to Jeroboam. God is so wide open to us in this world. But what we need to remember, what we need to realize is that when we hear good stuff from the Lord, that doesn't mean that he's going to give us the power, the capacity to do these things. It means that we need to humble ourselves and come to him meekly and say, Lord, you've hold, you've given me this promise. You've shown me the opportunities having to do with the gospel and the kingdom of God. But Lord, I am a weak creature. I recognize my weakness. I recognize my frailty. I see what I need to do. I see that this is a, a step too far for me to make, to be effective in and of myself. So I need, oh Lord, thy help. And this is the way David would pray. Bless me, O Lord. I know that I am weak. I know that I need thy help. And so David had the heart of a converted man. And with that heart, and with those prayers, and with that humility, it served him well, and God blessed him through that. Jeroboam is given the, the, the same offer, basically, that was given to David. But the, the, the end of the blessing of God's word to Jeroboam uh, is discovered almost as the Lord finishes his sentence. The Lord finishes the, 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 the opportunity, the, the promise to Jeroboam. And that's the last thing. That's the best, that's probably the highest that, that Jeroboam ever gets, that he listens to this good word. What about us in our lives? Are we responsive to the Lord? Are we thinking 
Are we listening to what God says to us? Or are we presumptuous? Thinking that uh, we deserve it. Many, Most of the Jews, they just felt like after a time that they deserved it. They were Jews. God had called them. They were part of the earthly elect, as it were. The visible church. And so as the visible church, they thought that all of this inured to them or, or went back to them. They did not use the benefits of the Lord as a blessing for their lives to press on and go forward. <clears throat> I said... Um, at the beginning of this, um, that this is just the opposite of the way it is with our Lord Jesus Christ. We have Jeroboam, like David, a picture of David, I mean, a, a contrast with David. And then we have our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I said here it was, a, it was a, a great humanistic glory for Jeroboam to be chosen as king of these ten nations. And yet we know from the perspective of the scripture that this was all for bad. This was all for evil. They were destined from the time that they divided themselves off of Israel. They were destined to be overcome by the Assyrian Empire. They were destined to be enslaved in, their, in a captivity by a foreign power. And so even as they obtained a kind of earthly glory, and even as Jeroboam obtained a kind of earthly glory, it was all for naught. On the other hand, when our Lord Jesus accomplishes his work in this world and ascends unto the right hand of God the Father, the power of his work is just beginning. And he begins working even then to raise up a church, which on the day of Pentecost, a mere 40 days later, the power of God and the redemption and the power of the Holy Spirit began to fall upon Israel and then the other peoples of the world, and the church began to be created. And out of this chaos of the crucifixion, where the, this band of, of happy men were uh, almost destroyed, there came an even more committed band, the apostles, who were utterly convinced of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his identity. He was who he said he was. So that even as he was crucified, he was raised up from the dead and glorified uh, in the heavens with his heavenly father. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, his rule is the antithesis of Jeroboam. It reflects the approximate redemptive life of his father, David. And uh, So as we compare these two, uh, Christ and Jeroboam, there's no comparison. We contrast them, but there's no comparison at all, except insofar as they both sit upon a throne. Jeroboam is typical of earthly rule, of humanistic rule, of a rule which is devoid of the Lord's influence, whereas David and Jesus are examples of godly rule. And as I said, as we study politics today, uh, it's amazing. I, just this past week, I heard a wonderful lecture by uh, a University of Chicago professor. He was talking about the world situation, and he was talking about uh, the, the uh, conflict in the Middle East now, and he was talking about the conflict in Europe. And uh, 
he, he was, he, I, I really learned a couple of things that I had not thought of before or learned before that was, that was, that was good. The, the man was really brilliant. And yet as he went through his long scenario of what was going on in the world today, I kept saying to myself, but he has no understanding that God rules above in the heavens. He has no insight into the fact that uh, it matters whether we are good or evil based upon what God has said, or it matters whether we worship God or not. He was, he was looking at the world situation totally in a secular fashion, just like Jeroboam. And uh, we have hardly, <clears throat> I often have thought, how can I get, how can I get word to some of the conservative people like uh, uh, Mr. Levin or Mr. Hannity or some people like this? How can I get word to these people that they never, they never open up the door? to consider the existence of God, or investment people. They're talking about, they, whole shows and whole television stations are committed, given over to how to invest your money today. But none of them raise up the issue of how uh, productivity, the, the secret to world economics, according to the Bible, is human productivity. Genesis 1.28. But they never even consider this. They, they talk about, commodities and stocks and bonds and ETFs and these kinds of things and never never reflect as we were going as America was going through the throes of the Obama years I was thinking to myself uh, the same thing that that, uh, that none of the economists of that day were talking about you know, uh, productivity at all and so much of what the government was doing was anti being anti productivity and they were trying to sleuth out the secrets of American wealth from this, from this, from this or that cause, and I thought, well, you know, you people are so foolish. You don't, you don't even see the basic economic ingredient that the Lord puts forth in His Scriptures. And how much better! It doesn't mean that that uh, it doesn't mean that knowing what the, what's in the Bible that it would uh, uh, make us rich automatically or something like that. If we're dealing with the world of investments or if we're dealing with the world of politics doesn't mean that we would automatically or easily find world peace. But it would be so wonderful if people were more like David and saw the, the, um, the, the openness and the, the uh, uh, clarity with which the Lord sees this world and with the Lord, where the Lord has influence upon it to do whatsoever he will. The Bible is very clear on that. God does whatsoever he will. So how can Jeroboam be developing a successful rule in the ten tribes if he's absolutely ignorant of this powerful God who rules above in the heavens? It's a, it's a, a phantasm. It's a, a mirage. It will not work uh, to its best uh, effect. And so... <clears throat> Uh, it's it's wonderful to consider here the contrast of Jesus and his rule, even as we look at Jeroboam. Jeroboam is so negative in so many ways, and our Lord Jesus is so positive and so wonderful. And I thought, again, comparing these two and thinking about this, I thought, where, where is the picture in the Bible of the greatest and purest rule ever? And is it not in heaven? And what does it say in the book of Revelation about the ruler who is in heaven, about the lamb who sits upon his throne? What does the Bible say? There's a song, worthy is the lamb. 
Worthy is the lamb. And the angels are singing, worthy is the lamb. So the Bible's picture of the godly rule focuses upon the son and how his every idea, his every purpose, his every bent, his every effort, his every energy is only blessed and good and meritorious. That's who our ruler is. We need not in this world, we need in one sense to endure the Jeroboams. But even as they rule, we have a better ruler who is working on his will perfectly. We may not like it, but we can't really contest it. We have to say when, the, when things happen that we don't agree with, we have to say, well, God knows best. He's, he's working out his own. And, and in the end, I will be happier with the way Christ rules, even when it turns out negatively short term. I will be happier long term with what Christ does than the apparent successes of Jeroboam's and their ilk here in this world. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, give us, give us esteem for the Lamb who sits upon his heavenly throne. Help us to see how what an antithesis the Lamb is to this ungodly, fleshly king Jeroboam, who uh, would be uh, would be met with prophets given the word of God from prophets and yet make no good use of it whatsoever. Bless us, O Lord, in the beloved. Help us to feel confidence in the love of Christ and help us to do well by it here on our earthly walk. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat>